I'd ask you to please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage this morning. And this morning I'm going to be focusing really just on a few verses, just on, on Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 8 as, as part of our, our, our beginning of our studies of, of the book of Acts. So just, just Acts 1, uh, 4 to 8. Um, but, um, but I'm going to read the, the whole section here from, uh, from Acts chapter uh, 1, 1 down to verse 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have begun, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven, as he went, Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of our Lord. May he write his eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Great and glorious God, as we consider this passage of Scripture, as we consider your promises. I pray that you would help me to communicate the truths of who you are as the promise-keeping God. That you would help us, Lord, to grow in confidence in who you are and all you will do. Lord, the only reason I can ask any of this is because you have kept your promise in sending your spirit to your people to accomplish your will in their lives. So work in our hearts through the power of your spirit this morning that you might be glorified in our midst, that your church might grow in depth and in breadth. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. We live in an age of broken promises. There's the ubiquitous, I'll be home by 5.30. Or it'll be on your desk first thing in the morning. Or I'll never do it again. But on a larger scale, we witness politicians breaking promises within days of being elected to office. We witness husbands and wives break the promises that they made in their marriage covenant as the divorce rate of over 40% testifies. But the broken promises of people underscore the fact that we have a God who never breaks his promises. My task this morning is to preach on one of the greatest passages of Scripture. 
It's one of those passages that, that budding pastors dream of preaching. Acts chapter 1, 4 to 11 includes both Luke's version of the Great Commission and his full account of the ascension of Christ into heaven. We'll be looking at the first half of it here this morning. Luke is continuing to review the, his, continuing his review of the end of Luke chapter 24, the summary of the 40 days that Jesus spent with the disciples following the resurrection up until the time of his ascension. This passage, if you notice carefully, includes two clear promises from the Lord. One of these promises is going to be fulfilled pretty much right away. And we're still waiting for the fulfillment of the other. The fulfillment of the first promise will enable the apostles and all Christians to fulfill their promises and responsibilities to the Lord. The fulfillment of the second promise brings the fulfillment of all things. The first promise is the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit for all believers. Through the gift of the Holy Spirit, the apostles and you and I are empowered to fulfill the ministry of Jesus Christ, all that he has for us, bearing witness of him and serving him in his church. The second promise is that just as Christ left, he will return, establishing the kingdom of God. As we talked about last week, Luke wrote history, but he also wrote theological history. He recorded history and interpreted that history for us. So in this case, Luke did not just record God's promise to give the Holy Spirit to the church. He also shows us why, what the coming of the Holy Spirit means for the church. He also didn't just record Christ's ascension and the promise of his return, but he also shows us what it means. So then what are the implications of these two events and promises? The apostles will experience the fulfillment of the first promise just 10 days later. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, the apostles would receive the gift of of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The apostles would receive power to become witnesses for Jesus Christ. They would become, they'd receive power to become witnesses of Jesus Christ for Jesus Christ. Their spirit-empowered witness of Jesus Christ is the dominant theme of Acts. As we saw last week in the, the first part of the introduction to Acts, Luke is demonstrating how Christ's mission to build his church is continuing. He's going to do it first through the apostles in the power of the Holy Spirit, and then through us in the same power of the Holy Spirit. The apostles received the first promise, but anticipated the fulfillment of the second promise. Christ's return to fulfill the kingdom Christ's return to the, fulfill the kingdom was what they were anticipating, but they did not see it in their day. We haven't seen it yet either. So they and we live in the, the in-between time, in between the two promises. This passage delineates the mission mandate and it also delineates the scope of the mission. Theirs was the mission in between, and so is ours. So in this passage, Christ gives his command for the church that we have what we are to be doing as we await his return. 
This task is far greater than we in our natural abilities could ever carry out. Left to ourselves, we would break our promises too, even our promises to God. But the fulfillment of Christ's first promise provides hope, strength, and endurance for the disciples, for all disciples, as we await the fulfillment of the second promise. So then my outline is is very simple. The the first promise in verses 4 to 8, and the second promise in verses 9 to 11. Again, we are living in the the in-between, in-between the fulfillment of the first promise and the second. Well, this week you're going to be living in the in-between the the preaching of the first promise and the preaching of the second, because again, I'm going to have to come back and discuss the second promise next week. Now, for those who are skeptical that that I'm going to um, preach through Acts in a little over a year, don't worry. This is a a foundational passage, and it's vital that we understand what's going on. It It is present in its wider biblical context. This is going to take a little bit longer. But much of Acts is, is narrative and, and flows really quite quickly. And so we're going to be doing the, 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 latter, the latter two-thirds of, of Acts 1 from 12 to 26 in, in just one sermon. So I, I won't say this is a promise, but I'm planning. That's my voice crack as I said that. I'm planning to be finished Acts by September 2023. And, and you, can, you can see how I do with that. But this passage tells us what Christ's mission for the church is until his promised return. It tells us how we are going to fulfill our mission through the fulfillment of the first promise, the empowerment that comes through the Holy Spirit. So then let's look at the first promise in in Acts 1, 4 to 8. The, The 40 days of Jesus' ministry after his resurrection is drawing rapidly to a close. It's the end of Jesus' time on earth. He's about to depart from his beloved disciples. To say that they've been through a lot together is a gross misunderstatement. It's a gross understatement. They have been with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. They've heard his teaching with their own ears. They witnessed his miracles with their own eyes. They were there when he was arrested. Those who did not flee were present at his crucifixion. They had all seen his resurrected body. They had all heard his teaching about the kingdom of God prior to his crucifixion and after his resurrection. They had touched him. They had eaten with him. Now comes the final lesson before Jesus' departure. This probably took place over a meal as Jesus' teaching often did. He commanded the apostles to stay in Jerusalem until they received the promise of the Father. Luke 24, 49 records the words, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now in Acts chapter 1, 5, Jesus tells them exactly what the power is, or more specifically, who the power is. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Jesus promised to give them the Holy Spirit. It was also promised by the Father. Now the promises of the giving of the Holy Spirit do not begin here. 
right? The, 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 at the, the baptism of, of, of Jesus, the, John said in, John, in Luke 3.16, John, John answered them saying, I baptized you with water, but he who is coming is mightier than I. Mightier than I. The, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the, the promise of the giving of the Holy Spirit predates what Jesus is saying here. But how did, how did John know that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit? Because the promise is made repeatedly in the Old Testament. In Peter's sermon on Pentecost from Acts chapter 2, the second of Acts 2, which we'll also take, we'll probably do that over a week, he, he, will, he will explain the giving of the Holy Spirit and, and how it is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the fulfillment of Joel 2, particularly verses 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that it will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants. In those days I will pour out my servant. But that promise isn't just in Joel. It's also in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. Where the Lord promises to put his spirit within his people. But it's in the book of Isaiah where the promise is most clear. The book of Isaiah. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah. Back to uh, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 15. Acts 32, or sorry, Isaiah 32, 15. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, the fruitful field is deemed a forest. And also um, Isaiah 44.3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing upon your descendants. So here we have very clearly these promises from the Lord that he would pour out his Holy Spirit. Now keep Isaiah in mind as we continue because we're going to be going back there shortly. But Isaiah doesn't just give us the, the, the Lord's promise to give us his Holy Spirit. He also tells us the purpose. The purpose of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to be given, is given so that the people will be empowered to witness. To witness. We'll come back to that later. At this point, the disciples still didn't understand. So they ask. They asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, now once again, as we've seen throughout Luke, the, the disciples here are proving the falsehood of the axiom, there is no such thing as a bad question. This is a bad question. This is a bad question. Calvin comments that the disciples here were marvelous in their rudeness. That when, as they had begin, been diligently instructed by the space of three whole years, they betray no less ignorance than as if they had never heard a word. Calvin says that there are as many errors in this question as there are words. I'm going to use that. There's as many errors in this question as there are words. 
You see, not only had Jesus been teaching them about the kingdom of God and correcting this very error repeatedly during his three years with them prior to his crucifixion, but Jesus had just told us, or Luke rather, just told us in Acts chapter 1-3 that the kingdom of God was a major point of Jesus' instruction during his 40 days with the apostles after his resurrection. Jesus has been teaching them explicitly about the the coming of the kingdom of God and the, the nature of the kingdom of God, and the apostles still missed it. You know, you, you hear it said quite commonly, I might have even said it, at, but the, 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 there's a major difference in, in the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus. Right? That we, we see the, the apostles that are presented in, in, with all their errors and, 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 and weakness and foolishness throughout the Gospels. But here after the resurrection, and they're, they're still the same. Why do you think that is? What is about to happen that's going to change that? That's going to change these apostles? What, what's going to happen so that they're actually going to get it? Now, to be fair, in one sense, the apostles' question does make sense. Because the, the coming of the Holy Spirit is linked in the scriptures, closely linked in the scriptures, with the coming of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that, that's, that's very clear. You can see that in, in Joel, you can see that in Isaiah, in Ezekiel. The, the, the context of, the, of those prophetic passages makes it clear. But the coming of the Spirit does not mean the, the completion. It doesn't mean the completion of kingdom promise. The, the giving of the Holy Spirit does inaugurate part of the, the inauguration of the kingdom of God, but, but his coming, the Holy Spirit's coming, does not fulfill the kingdom. That awaits the fulfillment of the second promise. Not the coming of the Holy Spirit, but the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and his return. The disciples radically misunderstood the nature, scope, timing, and means of advancing Christ's kingdom. Their focus was far too small. Now, God is not finished with Israel. Romans 9 to 11 makes that clear. But the apostles were still thinking merely in terms of Israel. They were thinking that Israel is still the, the center of God's plans. But friends, the, the Jewish hope of the kingdom of God has nothing to do with nationalism. This is not Zionism in the Messianic Jewish sense. But the Canadian or the American hope does, has nothing to do with, the, with nationalism either. Now, some people expect kingdom promises to, to apply to, to Canada or to the U.S. But brothers and sisters, we are citizens of another country. God's plan is for people from every tribe and tongue and nation to be brought into his kingdom. The apostles still thought that they would that, it, that the kingdom of the coming of the kingdom would come through through military and or political triumph over Rome to free Israel. However, triumph does not come through military or political means, but through the gospel. Rome and the whole world will be conquered 
by the gospel. As Dennis Johnson explains, Jesus' witnesses set out to conquer the world not through military might or political machinations, but through the word of the Lord. Now, Jesus initially answers the disciples with, with a gentle rebuke. It, it is not for, for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Matthew Henry says that it is folly to covet to be wise above what is written and wisdom to be content to be no wiser. Don't ask questions that God's word doesn't answer. There are all kinds of cults that have been swept up in, in trying to determine the specific days. The, the day of the, the return of the Lord. And they have completely missed the teaching of the Lord, especially at this point. So we tell our kids, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Jesus' message to the apostles is, is do not concern yourself with the timing. You have work to do. You have work to do. Now, now again, this is, this is a, a good corrective to those who are, are so focused on the, the imminent return of the Lord that, that they, they, just, they forget about what they're told to be doing until the return of the Lord. Now, now don't get me wrong here. We should be eagerly anticipating the return of Christ. However, some people are so believed that, that Christ's return is imminent that they check out and they cop out. And Jesus' coming might be imminent. But that makes our mission that much more pressing. Listen to James Boyce. Believers in Christ have always been faced with two great temptations where this assignment is concerned. One is the temptation to idleness. They say, well, Jesus has saved me, my wife or husband, and my, my children I have a nice church. Everything is comfortable. I think I'll just sit around and wait for Jesus to come back. We'll be patient. We'll wait. Jesus says to such an inactive church, that they are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and when they are filled there, to go out and witness to him in all the earth. The church that is not witnessing is not obeying the Lord. Voice continues. The second temptation is the one the disciples are already caught up in. It is the temptation to think that we are to do the Lord's work in the world's way. We are to establish his kingdom politically by law, getting Christians into high positions in government and by imposing our vision of society on the world. So two ditches. And we need to be careful because some of us here will be tempted to, to go to one and some of us will be tempted to go to the other. But the solution is the same, to avoid both ditches. We overcome both temptations. On the one hand, the temptation to lazily coast into the kingdom. On the other hand, to the temptation to try to advance the kingdom by fleshly means. We overcome both temptations through the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit that Christ has given to the church. Jesus' answer in Acts 1.8 is the answer. Again, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. I was saying to Jane this morning, I feel so privileged to teach on this. But we all are so privileged to be a part of this. This is, this is Luke's version of, of the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18, 20. It was read for us by Adam this morning. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is not just for the apostles. This great commission is for Christians. It's for all Christians. It's for you and it's for me. And what Jesus is announcing here with the promise of the giving of the Spirit is, is a major, major step. It's a major new step in redemption history. Up until this point, the only ones who would receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit were specific people like judges and prophets and kings. And it was only for a specific time until a specific purpose was accomplished. So Samson and, and Moses and David were all empowered by the Holy Spirit for their respective ministries. And I used to wonder how, how the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell King Saul, even though King Saul wasn't a believer. I used to wonder how David could pray in Psalm 51, his, his psalm of repentance, take not your Holy Spirit from me. What's being spoken about there is, is, is another dispensation. It's another time prior to this time, prior to Pentecost, prior to the, the giving of the Holy Spirit to all believers, prior to the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit upon all believers. All that was about to change. Jesus says to the apostles, you will receive power. Now, the apostles had already received power from the Lord Jesus in Luke 9 to cast out demons and to cure diseases. And that power would have come from the Holy Spirit, but evidently they were not permanently indwelt by the Spirit. But now they would receive the Holy Spirit permanently. He would give them power to preach, power to perform miracles, victory over sin in a way they had not experienced before. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus would give them gifts for ministry. We just spent 10 weeks talking about what, what these gifts are. Remember Ephesians chapter 4, uh, 11 to 13. And he, that is the Lord Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Jesus was about to give the Holy Spirit to the apostles. He would give the Holy Spirit to, to other church leaders. And he give the Holy Spirit to the whole church for equipping in ministry. Friends, the power of the indwelling Spirit is not just for apostles, not just for church leaders. After Pentecost, again, all believers will be indwelt, would be indwelt permanently by the Holy Spirit. 
And you can see why though many of those who, who call themselves Pentecostal miss the point of Pentecost to the extent that they, that they focus on speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit indwells us to do infinitely more. Infinitely more. It means infinitely more in redemption history. As I explained in our series on the spiritual gifts, and specifically as we looked at Jesus Christ as the gift giver, the blessing of the indwelling spirit is so great, is so great, that it's better for the apostles that Jesus depart so he could give the spirit to his people. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Brothers and sisters, you and I are permanently indwelt by a member of the Trinity. Just stop and think about that for a second. About the implications of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit for life and for ministry. It's a game changer. He is a game changer. But the indwelling Spirit is not given just for our enjoyment. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to do what Christ has called us to do. Christ has called the apostles to be his witnesses. But notice the pronoun. His witnesses. Christ's witnesses. Witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Witnesses of, of who he is and what he said, what he came to do, particularly his death and his resurrection. disciples had seen his, his resurrected body. They'd eaten a meal, several meals with him. They'd heard his continued teaching. Now they were to continue to bear witness. They were to take up the mantle of Jesus. Now this is a, you're probably familiar with that, that, that phrase, taking up the mantle of someone. He's to, to follow in their steps and to continue what they've been doing. Well, that, that comes from the, the mantle of, that, 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 Statement comes from the mantle of Elijah, who had fallen from his shoulders and then was taken up by, by the mantle of Elijah that was taken up by Elisha. And, and we'll see next week that this, this is very symbolic and very powerful in, in what, what we're going to see at, the, um, at the, the ascension of Jesus next week, Lord willing. The apostles are about to continue the, the mission that Jesus began. And we are called and commanded and empowered to continue the same mission. Now, Dennis Johnson helpfully identifies three key elements of the, the nature of, of the mission. It's very straightforward. Number one, the Spirit of God is poured out upon God's people. Number two, God's people are his witnesses testifying on the basis of the saving acts that they have seen that he alone is God and Savior. Three, their witness extends to the end of the earth, calling pagan nations to abandon their idols and to turn to the Lord for salvation. Now Johnson points out, points out here that there is a, a clear line 
between these three elements of Acts 1.8 with the book of Isaiah. So back to the book of Isaiah, pointing out that these three themes are, are woven into the heart of Isaiah's announcement concerning the servant of the Lord. The, towards the end of, of, of Isaiah, we have what's, what's known as the, the servant psalms. Particularly in, in Isaiah 42 to 53, and obviously you're very familiar with Isaiah 53. These are the servant songs, so Isaiah 42 to 53 and also 61. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises of the suffering servant in these passages. And one of the, the, the clear tasks of the suffering servant is to bear witness. Is to bear witness. Isaiah 42, 6 and 7. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from prison those who sit in darkness. The Holy Spirit is, is opening eyes. So rather the, the, the suffering servant is, is opening eyes through his ministry. And then Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Now anointed is, is Hebrew, that's Messiah. In Greek, it's Christ. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. Now, it's this latter passage, along with Isaiah 49.8, that Jesus chose to quote in Luke chapter 4 at the outset of his ministry, saying, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the fulfillment of this witness. And as we'll see in Acts, the apostles are the continuation of that witness. Beloved, you also are the continuation of that witness. Jesus' statement here, you will be my witness, is not simply a command. It's also a promise. It's a statement of fact. He's saying, you will be my witnesses. Because God keeps his promises. Now, the scope of this mission was, was far beyond the borders of Israel. Far beyond their ethnic group. They were to take his message and the message of him to the ends of, of the earth. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, this geographic delineation forms the, the general outline of the book of Acts that we discussed last week. In Acts chapter 1 to 7, the focus is in Jerusalem. In Acts 8 to 12, the, the focus is on Judea and Samaria. And then in Acts 13 to 28, the focus is on the, the ends of the earth. And as we'll see in about a year's time, Acts, Acts 28 ends rather abruptly. Ends abruptly. But the mission of Acts continues. 
the mantle has fallen from Jesus to the apostles to us. We are the continuation of Christ's mission to build his church. Now, brothers and sisters, we have not seen the, the same things in the same way as the, the apostles. We did not hear the teaching of Jesus with our own ears and, and see the teaching of Jesus or see the ministry of Jesus with our own eyes. We didn't see the miracles ourselves. But we have seen and heard with the eyes and ears of faith. You know, many times I've, I've, I've thought how much I would have loved to, to have been there, to, to see the, the, the ministry of Jesus. We've talked about this many times. And, and I don't know, you, you probably have a, a highlight of one of the things that, that, that you would have loved to have been there to see Jesus do. One of, one of mine is, is, is to be there at the Mount of Transfiguration. To see the, the, the glory of Jesus temporarily unveiled. To be with Peter and James and John as as Jesus met with, with Elijah and Moses, as they heard the, the Father's voice say, this, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. We have something more sure than even if we had seen them with our own eyes. In 2 Peter 1.19, Peter refers to the Scriptures as the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Peter is saying in the context that, that the word of God is more fully confirmed than if we saw Jesus transfigured with our very eyes. And so now, as the recipients of new life in Christ, as recipients of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Bearing witness of Jesus Christ and for Jesus Christ is not just the apostles' mission. We see that this is also our mission. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome everything that hinders our fulfillment of Christ's mission. He helps us to overcome the apathy and laziness that, that keeps us from ministering the gospel to others by lighting a fire of evangelistic fervor in our hearts. He helps us overcome the, the fear of man and the, the overwhelming nature of the scope of the mission by giving us confidence in the power of his Holy Spirit at work in, in our hearts and in the hearts of those to whom we would minister. He helps us to overcome the, the temptation to advance the kingdom through fleshly means by taking us to God's word so that we'll seek to accomplish his mission in his strength in his way. Beloved, we live after, after the fulfillment of the first promise. And we are awaiting the fulfillment of the second. We have received the promised Holy Spirit and we are awaiting the promise of Christ's return. We live and we wait in between. My question to you is, what are you doing while you wait? The mission continues, but are you continuing the mission? The task is daunting. The world is dark. Our enemies 
fierce, but we have the same promises as the apostles. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same indwelling power. Let's pray together. Almighty triune God, we praise you that you are the faithful, promise-keeping God, the covenant-keeping God. We praise you that you have kept all of your promises to your people. We thank you that in your providence we live in a time where we can experience the, the fulfillment of your promise to send your Holy Spirit to indwell all of your people. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power at work within us. Help us, I pray. Strengthen us, I pray. To stand on your promises to act upon your promises, to fulfill this mission that you have given to us, to bear witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the glory of God and for the building of your church, help us, I pray, to be faithful as we await your return, Lord Jesus. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.